This episode of Dragged Out is brought to you by JQ Clothing, proudly serving the community of Vancouver since 2000. JQ has changed a lot since they called themselves Jean Queen. These days, JQ sources vibrant, colorful articles from the hippest boutiques in LA. If you're looking for festival fashion, cosplay wear, or just something fun to add to your wardrobe, JQ Clothing is your one-stop shop. Head to jqclothing.com to find out more. JQ Clothing, love, laughter, and acceptance for all gender identities since 2000. So a long time ago, I remember being told that nostalgia is a feeling of homesickness for a place in time. I'll be honest, I don't think I really understood what that meant until now, basically. The first time being when I asked Peach Cobbler about Davy Village. She took some time, but when Peach did go out after XY and 1181 shut down, it wasn't as Peach, but as Dave, his day-to-day persona. A month after he spent his last night at 1181, he attended a show at the junction to celebrate his partner's birthday. Dave says that even within a month to recuperate from the losses, the village felt off. It was like, I mean, for me going out for, for a night on the town, like as boys, just which we rarely do, um, was a bit heartbreaking without those bars. I, you could feel the loss of them. Not only because normally we would stop at both of those, but also just it's, it's a miss. In our interview, Dave sits in front of me in silence, looking past me. In my head, I imagine him being there that night, sans wig and painted face. And in that thought, I can almost feel the difference in atmosphere that there was. From all the stories I've heard and all of the different faces I've heard them from, drag is this triumphant, beautiful display where people could really be what they wanted to be and what they wanted to look like. And the way that Dave describes going out that night, it sounds like that wasn't the case when he went back to Davy. The way he looks off when he talks about Davy now versus how it was in the distant past, it's like he's talking about a friend who's passed away. If you look at it from a numerical perspective, losing XY and 1181 was a huge blow to the Davy Village nightlife scene. Those two bars made up 25% of the village, and between them, they held the most drag shows in the neighborhood. So now, without those spaces, the hosts have to find other places to perform. But will they be able to? For Monday Productions and Van Arts Radio, I'm Max Collins. This is Dragged Out. Where we left off in the last episode, XY and 1181 were shut down due to things like having a hard time getting insurance and renewing a lease. But it seems like it was a bit deeper than that, too. Multiple people from the community had their suspicions as to why it was so hard for Jen Mickey to keep XY and 1181 open. Some people blamed it on the city tightening their grip on capacity at the two venues. Others say that too many noise complaints from previous owners did them in. And some thought, well, maybe it's just a vendetta on the queer spaces in the city. If you remember from a couple episodes ago, we spoke with Michael Gordon, who used to be a planner for the city of Vancouver. Certainly, I was sensitive to the needs of the LGBTQTS plus community. And in order to get some clarity, Michael addressed the rumors. Okay, so first thing. 
there's the idea that because of how valuable the property and land around Davy is, the city is trying to push out queer spaces to make room for people who can pay more. Effectively, this means that the city is telling queers that the village doesn't belong to them, that they don't belong there. It's like losing a home. It's like coming home and having your house being burned down. It's like it's not there anymore. That space is gone. Michael says, from a planning standpoint, that's definitely not true. The city has been doing, continues to do a number of things. For example, if, if you search out a council report, for example, when XY, they came forward asking for a liquor license, there's a commentary in there that recognizes that the Davy Village is an important queer nightlife space. So that's, that's a legacy that council's reminded of that. So... At least when Michael was a part of planning the city, there was a written rule that said these spaces are for the alphabet community. If you don't intend on serving the alphabet community, please take your proposal to another area in the city. I can't, I can't speak for those proposing bars in the future. What is important is that, for example, when XY came forward, the part of their rationale for the applicants was that uh, these would be spaces for the LGBTQTS plus community. So that can't be it. Now what about the rumor that the noise complaints that were racked up at XY in 1181 before Jen owned them gave her an unfair disadvantage when it came to the decibel levels in her time? Yeah, Michael said that theory is unfounded too. The noise bylaw hasn't become more restrictive. One change that we we did make, because I worked on the planning of Northeast Falls Creek, is we noticed that this was going to be an event area. So we amended the noise control bylaw for Northeast Falls Creek to allow for, for more noise. And just to give people a heads up that when they uh, move into the area, it's an event area. So it, they're, 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 not, they're not moving into a suburban area. So it, it'll be noisy. So that means since 2000, the noise bylaws have actually become less restrictive. Once the city realized in the mid-aughts that the downtown core was going to have a nightlife, those parts of the city were allowed to be a bit louder at night. And in terms of XY and 1181 getting a rap sheet that made their noise complaint fines more expensive, that's not true either. When a proposal comes forward for a bar, such as when XY came forward, Uh, One of the requirements for them would be to hire an acoustic consultant uh, to work with the architect who would be working on the renovations and ensure that outside the building there wasn't a level of noise that exceeded what's permitted by the noise control bylaw. And my understanding is is they they met that requirement. Now, of course, you've got to do special things. There's bass in particular, which is is difficult to... uh, to mitigate. But in any case, what happens is that, for example, if we got a complaint, then if, if it seems to be a, a serious matter, then, then what happens is we'll go out with a noise meter and, and see if, if the premise is exceeding what's permitted. So with each new ownership, you get a clean slate, as long as you can pass that decibel test before you open your doors to the public. Okay, so the city's not trying to kick out the queers, and there's no vendetta against past ownership in regards to noise fines. So what about the laws around capacity? This is where things get a little complicated. You see, back in 2005, the city noticed that more people were moving into the downtown core. 
and that there were a lot of big venues opening up in the vicinity of a few blocks of certain neighborhoods. Think Water Street, Gastown, Granville, those sorts of places. So the city was worried that this was going to cause a problem, and they decided to do something about it. Council chose to come up with a, a citywide policy that identified a minimum spacing between different sizes of bars. The thinking was if you're a large bar, for example, 350 seats or more, you shouldn't have a lot of them closely spaced. They should be further spaced away from one one another. If you had a smaller bar, let's say up to 65 seats, then, for example, you you could have more of them clustered together. The thinking was just from a life and safety perspective, it's better if you have a lot of people gathering on a sidewalk that at night that you not have too many similarly large bars. There were some venues whose capacities were grandfathered in, so that's why you still see tons of huge bars on Granville. But most of the spots to go dance or drink on Davy were pretty small. So for example, when the new club XY opened up in the mid-teens, even though the fire safety regulations said that 190 people could fit into that club, they were only allowed to hold 150 people because the junction, which was on the same block, already had a capacity of more than 150. But a club on Granville with the same square footage as XY that opened up in 2004 would be able to keep running, even now that the spacing law has been put in place. So there are certain there are certain licenses that get grandfathered in that have like a um, uh, that have laws that are different than the ones that are coming in that are new. That's right. Okay, sounds good. Um, would it be fair then to say that there is a little bit? Um, uh, it's a little bit harder for new establishments um, to kind of get started and um, under under more like stricter laws that are being put in place. It's a challenge, first related to money and, and the economics of running a business. So, in the research done in this series, it seems as though, yeah, there were unfair challenges that Jen faced when she ran those bars, specifically XY. And yeah, from 2005 onward, it will be more difficult for somebody to open and maintain a big venue in a space where there are already other large venues. And yes, those lucky venues that existed before 2005, those grandfathered spaces, they'll have an unfair advantage over new business owners that want to try opening a new space. So would someone like Jen fail in opening up a new space for drag in the village? It's hard to say, but with capacity laws, if they wanted to take over XY's old space, it's kind of likely. From that revelation, we know now that there won't be any new spaces devoted to drag opening anytime soon. At least, not in the village. So what now? When we come back, we find drag in some strange places. This episode of Dragged Out is brought to you by JQ Clothing. Did you know JQ Clothing welcomes shoppers of all genders and identities to try on anything they want? 
It doesn't matter if you're looking for a statement piece to add to your drag outfit, if you want to broaden your style with something fun, or even if you just want to build up your tickle trunk. The team at JQ Clothing will help you find what you're looking for. No judgment and no questions asked. So stop by and try on something new, or take a look at what's in store on our Instagram at JQClothingLTD. JQ Clothing, love, laughter, and acceptance for all gender identities since 2000. Welcome back to Drag Down. Before the break, we found out that the likelihood of a new drag venue opening up is pretty slim. And so with that in mind, and knowing that drag never dies, we need to find out where all of these shows landed after things went south at XY in 1181. Okay, so for a good few of the performers we've heard from, they were able to find new homes for their shows. Jaylene, for example, she got an offer to move her show. Actually, almost immediately after the closings were announced. With um, the junction, it really was a flow of something that when one door closed, another opened. And once again, there were open arms there. Um, the manager there, Byron, who is somebody that I've known for many years as well, has fostered a space there that has been um, a very popular gay venue for many years. And I already knew the type of person they were of the, the whole management team there, and even the entertainers that were there, my family. So they were in a different place. So, and I was, you know, you communicate with people, and, you know, I, I let the person that gave me the opportunity at XY know that I had an opportunity there, and everything was in the open, and it was just respectful. And um, I was welcomed to, led, to Legends Cabaret at the junction, and it really evolved again. So I went from one place to another place to another place. And every place was different, but it just seems to expand as we move forward. And to Jaylene, hosting Legends at the Junction, it just made sense. I had other opportunities that people had reached out when they had heard that was, that it was like, uh, that was really a compliment. But for me, what was really important about the show wasn't where it was at. It was like, it was a community hub. It was. It needed to be in the heart of Davie. It needed to be one that was a place that focused on a safe environment. And it needed to be a, a person that understood the history of drag culture and the history of the gay community. Staying in the Davie Village gave Jaylene the opportunity to keep doing what she loves with an old friend, too. Alma Bitches made history by moving her show to a really unlikely place. I went and I just kind of popped up where I knew um, some people that could talk to me about the show would be and and you know and it was the topic at hand of the day on the on the street so they said yeah let's have a meeting and uh, so I went and had a meeting with uh, the manager the general manager of the pump jack and the junction and yeah and, and so it was kind of decided that it would be the the first ever drag show at the pump jack pub on Davy Street and Alma felt the same way Jaylene did she wanted to keep her show on Davy. Lots of, a few other places like offered, you know, spots for a sanctuary, but it was just really important for me to keep it on Davy Street. One, just because I feel like Davy needs cool things. Yeah. And and also I don't want to go that far from my show. So I like walking a couple blocks. So yeah, I was down for that. So the Pump Jack wasn't really known as a venue that had drag, first of all, because, well, it had never hosted a drag show before but also because the Pump Jack was known as a bar that catered to a specific clientele. You could say a clientele that 
wouldn't warm up to drag very easily. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where the pump jack has, you know, typically been where our manly men go. I guess you could call it, in quotations, a refuge <laughs> for for men, you know? And I know lots of um, female friends of mine or, or trans friends of mine have report like you know told me that like the minute they walked in there they just could feel that maybe they weren't welcome or something like that but that didn't stop alma from asking the pump jacks owners if she could put on a show there because you know everything's changing and and people's views change and whatnot and, and the owners are definitely on board and they're so supportive of everything that i do um so far like you know i was I was only there for like, I think like a, a month and I was invited to the Christmas party and you know, that kind of thing. Like it was just like nice and and they just took me aside and just said, thank you for being a part of our, our, our crew and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, oh, it's awesome, right? I love it. And with the self-determination, only a drag queen looking for a new place to perform would have, she entered this testosterone-filled space. And when people started hearing, oh, you're gonna be hosting there in drag? And they're like, yeah, like, oh, I never thought to go there before. I said, yeah, that's kind of the point of me being there is that you'll think to go there. Those people who never thought of going to the pump jack, they started to go. A lot of people followed me over. A lot of people I've never seen before. Um, a lot of women, which is great, uh, or female presenting. And yeah, it's just, it's really great. And like lots of people that have do hang out at the pump jack when they're like, oh, there's a show. Well, I want to watch this. Like This allowed for Sunday Fun Day to continue. But with the change of venue, there came changes to the way the shows were run. Now the show is all ages. So children can come, which is amazing. There's food, which is great. So people can go out for dinner and see a show. It's earlier. So people can go a little bit earlier and still go home and, and uh, be home and go to work the next day. And there's still my relationship with Alma Bitches, who is across the street in a show that night as well, in the same company, so still that same vibe. So Alma's at the Pump Jack, and Jaylene's at Legends. And there were other shows and events that had moved elsewhere, too. Like Drag Bingo with Carlotta Girl at Hamburger Mary's. So not all was lost in the closings of XY in 1181. But... Of course, that wasn't the case for every night that went on at XY in 1181. Xanax explains. Opportunities did arise um, at Junction at Pump Jack, um, but I do feel like there was a lot of um, performers there and hosts that um, did fall through the cracks. And uh, it's kind of like people would have just one-off shows uh, on a long weekend or something like that. And there was a lot of shows being hosted there that just didn't um, get put into another place, um, which is unfortunate because those shows were fantastic to watch they were a different type of show so you didn't have to just go to the same ones all the time right so I feel like the slack is still there and whether or not um, someone pulls it it's kind of just about finding something else when when x1 1181 were closing a lot of um, um, like younger people like I'm almost 40 years old so you know I'm not saying that people in their 20s have like you know no experience but um, they, some of them, ones I know that were in their 20s were like, oh, it's over, our places are gone, we're losing our places, and I was like, well, we'll just create new ones, like, wherever we go, that's our space, like, I love those, those bars, and, you know, those were my home spots, but at the end of the day, like, 
I'm going to have a lot of homes while I'm walking this plane. <laughs> so, and it's wherever I, you know, hang my, my wig and take off my boots is going to be where our home is, right? So. What Alma is trying to get at here is that you can make space for drag or queer expression anywhere. And from seeing what Alma did at the Pump Jack, that's totally plausible. But from the research done for this series, it seems as though the only two bars on the strip that made time, or more time, for drag were the Pump Jack and the Junction. So what about the other venues there? When I reached out to the many bars and clubs on Davie for comment, only two got back to me. The Fountainhead Pub and Celebrities Nightclub. Now, these spots are very, very interesting to compare and contrast. They're across the street from each other, and they have very different vibes to them. One thing that they do have in common is that in the wake of XY and 1181 closing, neither of them took on any of the weekly or one-off shows that were happening at former bars. Uh, yeah, it opened about uh, 2000. And, yeah, it's just been going strong ever since. Very... This is Tara. We heard from her in the last episode when she spoke about her admiration for XY. Yeah, she runs the Fountainhead. The she has for a while. And she mentions that inside of the pub, it's kind of like a gay cheers. I know um, a couple of the initial owners were gay themselves. So I think that that was kind of their drive. It's, you know, let's, this bar is in our neighborhood. Let's, let's have it be a part of the neighborhood. Let's have it be a part of a kind of for that target audience, for that gay audience, to that they have a space to come. Everyone else was welcome. You know, everybody else is more than welcome to come in, but that it was, hey, here's a safe spot for you. Here's a spot where you can come in and be yourself. So it's a different feel from a club. It's somewhere your gay uncle would go play darts with his friends. I, we definitely have people that come in every day. They have their day at work, and that's their work. And then they come to the pub after, and it's like a little community for them where everybody knows your name. Yeah. And it does kind of make it sound boring, like we're not throwing, you know, like big parties, we're not changing things up. But I think that familiarity, yeah, is what's kind of kept us around, that you know what you're going to get when you come in, that you get that good service, good food, and, and, and just have a, have a nice place to kind of host yourself, like uh, have, your, have your little gathering or whatever you need to, need to do. Yeah. But as we know from Jaylene putting on Legends at the Junction, you can definitely have drag in a sit-down type setting. In fact, the Fountainhead has a drag show. I repeat, a drag show. We have a drag show once a year, and we bring in a stage. Celebrities is nice. They lend us their stage. This little two little things that they, they can give us. We move the pool table back and raise up the, the lights and the screen and everything. We have the table there, or the, the stage there. But yeah, we don't do it on the regular. It's, it's a lot of hassle to get it set up and get it going right, so we just do it for that one night for charity every year. So we know that with a little bit of shuffling around, the Fountainhead has the capacity to make that space. So why not make the space for drag? Why not leave up the stage and maybe give the opportunity for some of those one-offs from XY and 1181 to have a weekly show? Tara explains that it would deter the regulars that come in for a homey atmosphere. Our customer base are not there for a drag show, I would say. So we do a few things, you know, throughout the year, like we'll have that holiday drag show in December. Um, We do an Oscars party. So we have trivia, prizes... But yeah, the pub is just, we're just not quite set up for, for shows um, to take over those kind of things. Yeah. So she says that at the pub, drag isn't their number one priority. 
it comes down to the fact that the clientele aren't really the drag every week or every day type. I mean, even to physically have them in the space, but also to <clears throat> change up the a lot of the routines with the people that come in. Or it's like, no, you know, you know what to expect when you come in, run in, have your time, have your time here, kind of thing. We're not gonna throw a show in the wrench where you have to like, oh, okay, so I have to this drag show when I want to talk to my friend or something like that. Like, we kind of just have our little chill space. So for the Fountainhead, the mentality is that their pub isn't a cabaret. There just isn't the space for them to put on a drag show. If they were to make space, they'd have to take out some of the parts of the pub that people use regularly, like the pool table. And they'd have to inconvenience the regular crowd of people that want to come and just hang out. Simply put, they're a chill space, not a party space. Well, the same thing can't be said for celebrities' nightclub across the street. Yeah, so I'm Bill Karasiotis. I'm one of the principal owners of Blueprint, um, which we own and operate various entities in the city of Vancouver, including uh, celebrities. Bill is a part of the Karasiotis family. Before he became the owner of Blueprint, his family owned a few restaurants and nightclubs in the city, one of which was Celebrities Nightclub. The club was notorious for being the place to party. And even before the Karasiotis family owned it, the venue itself had been around for many, many years. Celebrities goes back to like the 1910s, 20s. There's always like a music hall or a ballroom. So it, always surrounded, it was always surrounded around music. Um, but when they purchased it, I believe it went to, it was in the rock phase of the early 80s, mid 80s type of thing. So that's, that's the roots when we got involved. And it stayed in the hands of the Karasiotis's even after it closed in the late 90s. I think they were pretty tough times. I think the club was um, a weekend business only. It was a lot more competitive in terms of a gay club back then. There was multiple spots. so And it was a big room, so it was hard to fill. You know, it, it, a lot more bodies than the other, um, other venues. So it was an up and down decade, I guess I'd say, the 90s. I remember that for sure. Of course, celebrities opened back up to much fanfare in 2004. Right out of the gate, it was it was fantastic, and um, it continues on today type of thing. So. All right, so in the present day, like the Fountainhead, Celebrities sits at the very start of the village. But as mentioned before, Celebrities is a nightclub. It hosts parties, cabaret-like events, that sort of thing. And twice a year, it hosts a drag competition that lasts a few weeks. So looking back on what Tara said about space and clientele, celebrities shouldn't have any barriers, right? It has a big, beautiful stage and a history of clientele that's really, really looking for a party or a show of some sort. But when XY and 1181 closed, celebrities didn't open up their doors to any performers that were looking to host weekly or one-off shows either. So why is that? Bill explains it like this. Celebrities was purchased in the early 80s, um, it was initially a gay club. It's gone through its transformations throughout the, I could say, decades at this point. Um, but it did end up um, becoming a gay, po- a gay club, uh, I believe, in the early 90s. Um, but it's just the trends and the people they work with, and it was best suited for the location and stuff. If you didn't catch that, Bill says that Celebrities wasn't initially a gay club, and it was never supposed to be one. The gays came... And then they went, and celebrities kind of just went with the flow. I think what makes celebrities work is this: we cater to everybody. There's no, there's no limits. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Everybody's welcome, type of thing. And like I said, we've done a bunch of cool things in terms of programming and artists and music and stuff. So we're getting, 
we're getting everybody it appeals to everybody ultimately right right so yeah that's i i think that's the biggest factor mm-hmm. is that like when you are appealing to a niche audience you're not going to make enough money or you're not going to pull in enough people to yeah. keep your stuff running i feel that's a pretty fair statement whether it's like you know 1181 or like a mom and pop shop that's you know a niche market i think that's really hard to do today it's it's unfortunate you know what i mean it's it sucks um, but I just, yeah, I think that's the environment right now, definitely. And so, basically, celebrities doesn't feel the need to make space for queer art like drag because celebrities doesn't cater to queer people specifically. Instead, it's an all-inclusive space where both queer and straight people are welcome to mingle. We wouldn't be there today if it wasn't like that. Um, you know, this might sound cliche, but like everything's more expensive to do. Like the rent, for instance, that we pay now is four times what it was 15 years ago but you know we're finding a way to make it work being creative um having a ton of offerings in terms of like different nights different artists different music so we try to keep that thing going as much as we can and and that's how we've stayed on course type of thing and evolved in terms of music as well like it's they're kind of hand in hand so we kind of heard the same mindset with the fountainhead too that straight people are welcome to come into their establishment. Maybe we see a bit more than other bars, but I think when people come in, you know, and they ask, like, oh, is this a fucking gay bar? And our, always our response is, actually, no, it's a community bar. It just happens the community is more gay than straight. But don't worry, guys, we'll accept you for your life choices. Just come on in, have a beer. For the Fountainhead, it's more of a welcome into this queer space, please be nice type of deal. But from our conversation with Bill, we know that celebrities have survived for so long by, as Bill says, being an LGBTQ-friendly space, but not a space specifically for LGBTQ people. And you know what? That's kind of the situation in a lot of places these days. The more that queer people are accepted into society, the more spaces there are for that kind of expression. So why not just have all-inclusive spaces everywhere? Wouldn't segregation, like having queer clubs or drag bars, cause more confusion and hatred? So Davy, as a street, I think it's important to have, you know, your neighborhood kind of all bunched together, is that people will watch out for each other and you have that community around you, so you're able to move from one space to another and not be harassed. Um, I mean, I jumped on an opportunity to stop these two guys from harassing this, this one guy that was turning down Thurlow Street. And I told my friends, I'm like, no, he's going to turn down that street, they're going to follow him, and they're going to kick the shit out of him. And can't let that happen. So we all went, it was right outside of Denny's, and we just started yelling at him, you know, you guys can't be doing that, you can't, people came out of Denny's, the guy came out of a, the restaurant across the street, T, you okay over there? You need me to call the cops? And we're just yelling at these guys, like, go back to, go back to Granville Street. If you want to start a fight with somebody, go get in a real fight. Go back down to Granville Street, call somebody a fat, get into a real fight. Yeah. Can't do that up here. Yeah. We're not going to let you do that. Go away. They actually did end up being arrested because they continued up the street and got in more trouble outside the pump jack. Which you think, you know, gay bar, but no, those guys are tough in there. They got some big men in there and they were not putting up with any of these, these guys' bullshit. Anyway, so what I like about it and why I think it's important is that it, it is it's safety, you know, safety in numbers. And um, yeah, we, we don't let our little zebras stray off the block uh, without protection and we always watch out for each other. So I think that's really important. Um, to have everything close together is, is like that feeling of community and that co- feeling of safety. Peach Cobla explains her point of view pretty well, too. 
I do think that queer spaces are becoming more straight. I don't necessarily think straight spaces are becoming more queer unless uh, like a queer programmer is going in and throwing a queer event in that space. Um, and, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it, and it's not, it's not just the queer community that, that sort of suffers that blow. It's like, that's, that's minority sort of bat, like coming up against a majority, right? You know, I don't, I don't want to go to a drag show that is 50% bachelorette party and 50% gay people. Like that's, um, I mean, I think, I think it comes down to recognizing this, how much space we're occupying in a room. And, uh, and I think, I think it's about like, as queer people, like we're welcoming straight people into our party, but that it's our party that, that there are invited guests to rather than it's their party that they have to tolerate us in, which is like a very different mind frame. So if you ask the queer community, yes, it's important to stick together and make space specifically for queer expression and celebration. But it's also true that gay nightlife is becoming, shall we say, more trendy among straight people. And Divi Village, being the famous gay village, is becoming the place for straight people to go and have their wild night at a gay bar. And there's a significant amount of queer people who maybe aren't so comfortable with that notion. People who maybe perform a less understood, more avant-garde type of drag. And what do those people do? Well, they've found a part of the city where they can continue to be weird. On the next episode of Dragged Out, we hop the bus to East Vancouver. This episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Max Collins. Thank you to all of the performers and others who took time out of their schedules to sit down and chat for this episode. That's Peach Cobbler, Michael Gordon, Xanax, Jaylene Time, Alma Bitches, Tara Fenimore, and Bill Karasiotis. Music for the series is by Ketza, Poddington Bear, and Bridal Party. Our executive producers are Martin Strong and Luke Pigeon. Isolde and Baron is on board as our community consultant. If you like this episode, please leave me a nice comment, rate it, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your fix. From Van Arts Radio and Monday Productions, this is Dragged Out. See you next week. Thanks to our sponsor, JQ Clothing. Visit us at 2120 Commercial Drive, just a short walk from the commercial Broadway Skytrain station. We'll be happy to help you find your next favorite piece of clothing. Check out our brand new website at www.jqclothing.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Yelp. We'd love to hear from you. JQ Clothing. Love, laughter, and acceptance for all gender identities since 2000. I'm Hannah McGregor, and I host Secret Feminist Agenda, a weekly podcast about the often mundane ways we enact our feminism in our daily lives. 
Join me as I talk to guests like award-winning Haudenosaunee writer Alicia Elliott, capitalism and colonialism is killing us all, improviser and voice actor Amber Nash, it's like we're not just telling stories that white men tell, and the original feminist killjoy Sarah Ahmed. You know, the question of living a feminist life is a very practical question. Plus, on alternating weeks, I talk to you about what my secret feminist agenda is. Things like watching Jurassic Park more often. New episodes start airing in August, but until then, you can find hours of feminist brilliance and hilarity at secretfeministagenda.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Seriously, like the dinosaurs are a metaphor for, for feminism.